Lord God, we ask in these few moments where we meditate on your word that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and to the glory of the Father. Amen. Our focus of attention in this meditation is on Acts 2, uh, the passage that was read uh, by Holly. Pentecost is uh, known as the Feast of Weeks. It takes place 50 days after the Passover. There are three main pilgrimage feasts in the Jewish calendar. The Feast of Tabernacles is the last one. Passover is the first one. Feast of Weeks is the second one. And it's the one that's most popular because it's the best time of year to travel. And 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, 49 days um, actually, or seven weeks. The Passover pointed to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, pointed to the first harvest, the first fruits. Usually it was a barley harvest coming early in the life of the agricultural year. But it was a time of celebration and rejoicing. And as you can tell from the reading in Acts 2, people were coming from everywhere. God-fearing Greeks who were converting to Judaism and God-fearing Jews that had come from all over this known world. And Luke begins by describing it from east to west. To put it in modern terms, Iranians, Armenians, Iraqis, people from Turkey, from throughout Asia Minor, all the way all, all the way over west to Rome, and then North Africa, Libya. That describes the list. We're not familiar with some of these uh, terms, but these terms are synonymous with these modern place names today all over the civilized world, gathering in Jerusalem to worship. There were 120 brothers and sisters in Christ in the upper room area when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Came upon them in such a powerful way that it's described as a rushing, you could almost say violent wind. And the manifestation of the wind was also expressed as like a wild fire. And it was as if tongues of fire were uh, also part of this dramatic demonstration of the Spirit of God. Now, what's interesting is the Holy Spirit within the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit is the self-effacing member of the Trinity. It is, in a way, the most humble member, if you might say, because the work of the Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ, bring conviction of sin and testimony to Jesus Christ. But in this dramatic demonstration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is presented in this initial outpouring at Pentecost in such a dramatic and powerful way, a rushing wind signified by fire, and fire being representative of a purifying, convicting. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as having eyes like blazing fire, 
a penetrating perception, a purifying perception. And then speech. The third signifying demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God is expressed in language. Galileans, suddenly able to speak in all of the known languages that were represented by the crowd of people there. 100,000 people is the prediction, is the uh, understood uh, number of pilgrims that would have gathered. Certainly not 100,000 were gathered in that area, but when word spread that this unusual, dramatic thing was happening, people were running and gathering and hearing these Galileans speak as it describes in Acts 2 as the mighty works of God. Now, language has always been a problem for me. I think it's been a problem for me since second grade. I struggled with my mother tongue. My parents were told, well, if he works really hard, he may get through high school. Language has always been, I feel like I've lived my life in the shadow of the Tower of Babel. Struggling with making, with understanding. And my worst class in high school was Spanish. And I just hated that class. And then going to Wheaton and studying uh, Koine Greek, I spent more than half my time working on the Greek language, all my other courses combined, I, I devoted most of my time to just trying to get Greek down. And then doing a doctorate, I had to do Latin and German. And when I finally could do theology, I was just felt like I was on vacation. <laughs> language has always been really difficult for me. So this description of the fact that the Holy Spirit's presence meant that they were hearing the gospel in their mother tongue. It's as if God learned our language so that we could end up speaking his language. Because I think there is kind of a mother tongue behind our mother tongues. An understanding that was meant to resonate with the truth of God and the wisdom of God. And we know that sin distorts that. We know that it becomes confusing and difficult to comprehend the truth of God, but we were wired to understand that truth, to resonate with God, with his aesthetics, with his theology, with, with every aspect that was built into us as image bearers of God. Eugene Peterson writes, we are the only creatures in this incredible, vast creation who deal with language. Language is unique to us human beings. Turnips, that's right. And when have you heard a sermon that even mentions turnips? Turnips uh, complete a fairly complex and useful life cycle without the use of words. Roses grace the world with extraordinary beauty and fragrance without uttering a word. It's quite impressive, really, what goes on around us without words. Ocean tides, mountain heights, stormy weather, turning constellations, genetic codes, bird migrations, 
Most, in fact, of what we see and hear around us, a great deal of incredibly complex doings, but without language, wordless. And we, we human beings, we have words. We can use language. We're the only ones in this kaleidoscope array of geology and biology and astronomy to use words. But when it comes down to understanding our humanity, who we are in this vast scheme of things, we find ourselves attending to language. Years ago, in a class that I was teaching in Toronto, Canada, a missionary had just returned from France, he and his family, and they had spent four years studying French and working hard to befriend the French for the sake of the gospel. And he broke down one day in class and uh, actually started to weep. I don't really remember what we were talking about. But he said, when our family went to France, we vowed that we would not speak a word of English, our mother tongue. We would only speak French. And he said, for four years, we have not uttered a word of English. And then we've come back to Canada, English-speaking Canada, and he said it's been so traumatic for the children. It's been so traumatic for my wife. He said, that was the biggest mistake that I've ever done, is make my family vow to only speak French and not our mother tongue. It was disruptive to our marriage, and it's been so hard on the kids. And it made me think that... You know, apart from God, we're kind of refusing to speak our mother tongue. The language of understanding and of salvation and of wisdom and of wholeness that, um, apart from that, uh, we really get messed up. And here, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit breaks in and they could hear it in their own language. You know, there's some uh, close to 7,000 languages on the globe right now. Um, and you know that the church has been so wired to communicate the gospel in the native language, in the mother tongue. And that's such a Holy Spirit-driven reality, I think. There's actually, uh, you might think of uh, the three-act drama of the Holy Spirit. The first act of the Holy Spirit was at creation, when the Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. And then God said, let there be, let there be light. And the second phase of the third, in the three-act drama of the Holy Spirit, the second act is the coming of the man of the Spirit, Jesus Christ. And in a unique and peculiar, essential way, Christ was living out what the fullness of the Holy Spirit looks like. Well, the third act of this drama comes at Pentecost. And now the Holy Spirit falls on all his people. The day that looks forward by the prophet Joel, the day that Moses looked forward to when he said to Joshua, I wish all my people. I wish all the people of God had the Spirit. 
I guess I could slant this message in this way. Have you heard the gospel, really heard the gospel in your mother tongue? You know Jesus' phrase constantly throughout the gospel, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or I could slant the message this way. Is the world hearing the gospel through your voice, your spirit-driven, spirit-guided voice? Is the gospel being proclaimed? For a person who really is real, real poor in language, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences across our globe with the gospel. Uh, I spent a summer in Columbia, South America, and I, I preached one, my first and last sermon in Spanish. <laughs> Took me all summer to get that sermon down um, in the company of, of several missionaries for the summer, helping out and painting a house. I spent 18 months in Taiwan, my first year of teaching, teaching Mandarin-speaking Chinese in a science and engineering college, world religions and Christian apologetics, and leading Bible studies in John. And, and they wanted to learn English, but I also had a translator, somebody who could break it down into the mother tongue. Um, I've gone to Mongolia five times to teach at the Union Bible Training Center. I would be totally ineffective if there was not a brother or sister in Christ who would ab was able to take my uh, words and present them in the mother tongue, not only with the words itself, but also kind of eliminating the Western slant. I've gone to, my wife and I have gone to northern Ghana five times to do pastor training. And again, uh, it's humbling and yet so gratifying to understand that the church desires to communicate the word of God in the mother tongue so that people can receive that gospel. On our first trip over to northern Ghana, I was going over the notes on the pastoral epistles that I was supposed to teach, and I realized this is so western. I was so enculturated with my own sort of situation. And I was really getting more and more nervous as we um, traveled up to northern Ghana. And on the first day that we were there, the custom is that you go around and you visit the various village chiefs. And uh, this was our first visit to, to, to Ghana. And we were visiting a Muslim chief. And for the first time, I realized that there was kind of second person in command. Another hereditary line, independent of the chief, called the tribal linguist. We think of a linguist as a person who's an expert in language. But the tribal linguist in Ghana is kind of the poet for the culture. And the tribal linguist's responsibility is to communicate the history of the tribe and perpetuate that history through the generations. Well, I had my theme. The next day of meeting these pastors, I challenged them to be God's linguist, telling the gospel news, the gospel message to their people, telling them the story. 
And so for that week, we spent five hours a day going from Genesis to Revelation, taking in the great drama of God's redemption. That could be our challenge tonight of being God's linguist, telling the story, sharing that story in our mother tongue so that people actually receive it and hear it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen.